Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and college teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself, supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Good morning and welcome to Bodies and Souls, your hosts for today are Rifki Boyarski and Sarah Lowenthal. Today we have the privilege of having Jackie Glazer with us. Jackie is a former Today Show psychologist. Um, she is here doing to do a special episode in honor of Tuba'av about older singles. So this episode is geared specifically towards our older singles. But if you are not a older single, stay tuned because this will give you perspective. This will give you nuance. This will give you an understanding of that journey. Jackie was also an older single who got married at 44. Um, she worked for 12 years in Kirov and she worked with the Olami organization um, and right now dedicates her life to working with older singles and married women. Um, Jackie, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey? I really showed up at the age of 30 in Israel to uh, explore my heritage, but also my brother was becoming observant and I thought he jumped off the deep end. And as a psychologist, I thought it was my obligation to rescue him by counseling him out of this. I was his big sister. And at the same time, I knew I was ignorant. So I really had to explore it for myself. So he was thrilled I went to Israel. I fell in love with Judaism. And every question I took on the rabbis and fought, they had amazing answers that were obviously rooted also in psychology. Well, really, psychology is rooted in Torah, but I didn't know that. And they had incredibly wise answers. I realized there was no, nothing more important than exploring my heritage. I stayed for a long time I walked off the Today Show in Australia people thought I was nuts I was cuckoo and I said I've got to go and explore this I've missed out on this whole of my life I didn't know about it because my father was a holocaust survivor took us to as far away as possible Sydney Australia uh, with the kangaroos which is really safe and uh, let's let's keep you know protected and safe in Sydney Australia which it really was it was a beautiful place to, to grow up but just gullus sheba gullus even though there's a beautiful small community there and uh, I, I stayed and I stayed for like five, six years learning full time, uh, a lot of it at Nevei Yerushalayim. And then I ended up teaching at Nevei Yerushalayim after that, got thrown in the deep end. As again, not planned. Hashem has this whole plan and we think we know and we just don't know. And I started teaching for two years there and then got sponsored to come out to New York and do more Jewish outreach in New York and working for a global org like Olami. So that's the short version. And then I ended up not getting married until 44. So I show up at 30. I become observant. I give my life to, to really something so meaningful, right? Which is cure. I had the, the privilege to do it. But at the same time, I was like, Hashem, really? Like, I feel totally abandoned by you. I feel betrayed. Like I'm here, I am sitting here single and I, I, I really am giving everything to you. And I felt so deeply betrayed. And I learned so much in those years. I don't know if you could say I want, I would go back and do it again if I could choose it. I don't think anyone would say that. The pain was so great. However, 
there was so much learning and depth that came out of that. And I, it really formed and shaped, obviously, my opinions and hashkafas about singlehood in general, as well as particularly older singles and the shtadlis that we need to do, the effort that we need to put in, that I ended up designing a process and a course for singles to go through to learn those deeper tools in themselves so that they don't have to waste all the time I did. Not that I wasted time, but I took a lot of time. I'm trying to shorten that time for people, not that we're in control of the outcome, but we can do a deeper, more focused inner hishtadlis. And that's what I think that we don't focus on enough, but I'll get into my rant later about that. But essentially that that inner work is, is where a lot of that shift is and that shift that needs to happen, transformation. So uh, I got married in a crazy way at the age of 44. Again, unbelievable story, which I can tell you about or not later please but, please uh, tell us i actually I, am very no, curious yes please this is like yeah. such an interesting part because you're not just preaching you 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 live no. through this and i want to hear i lived through every nuance every up every down every moment of hopelessness every soon by you cringe i lived i lived with you know the uh, and then it's okay and then i trust and then i accept and then i don't right and all of that roller coaster. And I was open and I was doing the work on myself. And I was, I was exploring, I believed in personal growth. I was a psychologist and I'd done a lot of that work. I had mentors and Rebbies and, you know, I did, I had all of that, but what I, what, what I hadn't accessed was a certain place in myself, which I didn't realize at the time. And I don't think it's, I want to make a disclaimer that I don't think we ever know why someone's single. So when people say the most offensive thing someone can say to someone is why are you still single? And it happens a lot. Why are you, oh my gosh, why are you still single? It's like, and of course you don't know. And there's a much bigger story and we never know. So we can never point to one thing and say, oh, it's because you're blocked. It's because you're too picky. It's because you're too this, you're too that, that that's why you're single. We don't know. Most of my dating life, my husband was married. He wasn't even available. And he's absolutely my soulmate. There's no question. It wasn't even available. So there was a reason for it. Do I know why? No, I'll find out why in the next world, why I had to wait this long and why this was the best thing for me to achieve my potential. And that before I launch into my story, I think it's important to focus on that point that it's, you're not a mistake. It's not a punishment. And I have a, I have a, a free masterclass online called there's nothing wrong with you because a single generally feels like there's something wrong with them intrinsically. Like I'm, is, is there's something intrinsically wrong with me. So I, I attracted so many singles, like we're talking tens and tens and tens of singles to this class that there's nothing wrong with you. And people kept turning off their cameras. And I was like, what, why are they turning off the cameras? They wrote me later, they were bawling because they were resonating with the fact that no one's validated the fact that there's nothing wrong with them and they're understanding their pain. And, and does that mean you don't need to work on yourself? No, of course you need to work on yourself, but intrinsically there's nothing wrong with you. And so what I came to was, and what I've seen with a lot of singles now, is that there's a design. Hashem has designed this Nisayon. It's a big Nisayon. And has designed this Nisayon to force us to extract our potential. And there's nothing else in the world that will do that as much as this particular Nisayon for now in our lives. As when, when, you're, as when you're single. And, you know, the Torah compares us to olives. Because olive oil is the richest, most beautiful liquid, right? And that we anoint kings with, and it's very pure. How does olive oil get extracted? Through pressing and crushing olives, right? So sometimes in life, Hashem puts us in a particular position and with a particular amount of force, presses us deeply in a certain way at a certain time with a certain pressure. And that forces us to dig deep inside ourselves and extract this beautiful, rich potential. 
And we would never have done it had we not been in that position at that time with that pressure and that squeeze. And you don't wish it upon anyone and you can't wait for it to be over. But because of that, you access this potential. And that's really what I see going on. And it's not, it's not fun. It's hard. It's painful. And I think we have to validate that pain. You know, it's like people who sit in a shiver and they say, well, at least you had him for this long. Or like they're just uncomfortable with the pain, right? Like they don't know what to do. So Nebuch, right? Like someone doesn't know what to do. They're, they're insensitive and they're, but they really it just comes from we don't know how to sit with pain. We don't know how to tolerate pain. And we need to learn how to, as a single, tolerate the pain and bear the pain and not turn it into suffering. And there's a difference between holding the pain, acknowledging it, and turning it into suffering. And that's based on our response to that, right? How do we, how do we turn our pain into suffering? We assume what it means about me now. There's something wrong with me. I'm unlovable. It's never going to happen. I jump into the future. What if I'm alone forever? For me, I was going to be a cat lady. And I was going to die as a cat lady alone in my apartment and no one would know because I was going to be alone. And the stench would alert people to the fact that I was dead. This is where I went. This is where I literally went. I was the cat lady many times. Like that's called suffering. And it's not necessary. So I hope some singles are laughing at this because it is a bit funny, but it's not funny when it's you in that moment, right? But that was real. I'm not even exaggerating. That's where I went. So what happened with me is, is okay if I just rant like this? Is this, is this okay? Yes, okay. absolutely. Please. This is so interesting, Jackie, and so <laughs> relevant. It's so relevant. So I was working with All of Me, amazing, beautiful organization, and I was in director of leadership development. So I was working with young leaders and helping them find their purpose, which I still love to do, and I do that a lot. And uh, we had Adam Newman from WeWork. WeWork is a big organization. They have a sort of office sharing spaces, right? He doesn't, he's not working there anymore. There's a whole story on Netflix about it if you want to see. But he was really passionate about helping Jewish people and wanting to do philanthropy. So he wanted to meet with us, especially leadership. And he's Shomer Shabbat, Israeli. And we go in and we have this big meeting with him. And I go in with the COO of Olami and there's this chief of staff and there's four of us in the room. And we sit down and he's got simultaneous meetings with two different banks on either side of our meeting at the time. And he's like juggling three meetings. And he sits and he goes, whose who's project is this? And my COO says, it's Jackie's. And before we went in, my COO, Dave Markowitz, said, Jackie, I'm, I'm just warning you. You know, he's Israeli. And he asked very direct questions. And he's going to ask very personal questions, perhaps. And I, I just want you to know if you're okay with that. Can you handle that? I said, yeah, I love Israelis. I love being direct. That's me. That's my personality. I can handle it. He goes, are you sure? Because they could be really personal. I said, no, no, it's okay. So we go in and we sit down. He's like, Who's, whose project? It's Jackie's. Okay, what's the budget? How many people? What's the thing? And I go through all the statistics. And I said, yeah, it's great. It's like the hushkafas, like be the change you wish to see in the world. You have to walk the walk. You know, as a leader, you can't just talk the talk. That's the Jewish view of leadership. He says, oh, what are you doing to, be, to walk the walk? And I was like, Dave looked at me and I'm like, oh, this is one of those questions. This, this is one of those questions I can have. So I start telling him what I'm working on and what I'm, you know, what I'm doing. And he looks at me and he goes, why are you single? And I was like, <gasps> I like stabbed my heart. And I said, why am I single? I don't know. I said, I don't know why I'm single. I don't know. Ask God. I don't, I don't know. And he said, no, why are you single? And he wouldn't let go. I said, I don't know. And he's just looking at me like piercing, piercing something in me. I don't know why. The others just like fade from you. You know, it's just me and him now looking at each other. And he says, you have to go home today and you have to tell Hashem that you accept. 
I said, accept. I said, accept what? I just want to make a little side disclaimer. This is where I was at in my life then at the time and what I was struggling with deep down that no one knew except God. So I do not believe what I'm about to say is relevant for every single and is the avoda for every single, nor is it the test that you have to get to or pass. Because if I don't say that, people freak out and think, oh my gosh, I have to do this. No. And I want you to hear the distinction I'm going to say, which is he said, I want you to go home and tell Hashem that you accept. And I said, accept what? He said, tell Hashem that you accept that if, if he were to choose for you to be single, not that he's going to, but if he were to choose, you could accept it. And what he was getting at was the nakuda inside of me, the little point of inside that I couldn't accept. I was feeling betrayed and that like no matter, even though I know God is good and he was in my life and I saw him everywhere and I love God and I see but I couldn't accept this. This was my own wrestle. And I knew with real trust, the Tachon, we should accept whatever Hashem decides on anything, right, for us. But with this area, I could not accept. But no one knew that except me. I was wrestling with it. God put words in his mouth. And I looked at him and I burst into tears. I'm completely inappropriately in this business meeting. And I'm crying from every, um, I've got liquid from every orifice at some point. And he said, I said, I try. I said, some days I accept and some days I can't accept. And I, I don't, he goes, nonsense. And he slams the table and he says, that's like saying you believe in God some days and other days you don't. He just, and he says, trust is a choice. Trust is a choice. You have to choose to trust. And all God wants from us is our acceptance of any, this, by the way, this relates to any listener who's going through any Nisayon. The core, core Nakuda is trust, right? Is Betachon. That's it. And he said, all he wants is our trust and acceptance and then watch what happens. Not that you're going to get what you want. That's not, it's not like a trick, like a vending machine. So like, ching, ching, oh, I'm going to do the acceptance thing and then Hashem. No, he said, but just watch what happens when you choose to trust. Everything will shift. In general, your life will shift enormously. If you make God's will as if it's your will, he'll make your will as if it's his will, right? For famous Prokeavos. And... I said, I try, and some days I can. And so, and he says, just watch what happens. Anyway, this turned into a half-hour counseling session with Jackie and Adam Newman, and he was like my new Rebbe. No, the other two were just sitting there looking at the ground, like not saying a word. We didn't talk a single thing about the project. I was He ripped off something off my heart, Olat Alev. It was like a circumcision of the heart, and I was raw. I was raw in my heart, and I could not stop crying because he really got into the piece that that's where I'm not accepting. He gets up because he said the banks are waiting. And he looked, we talked about nothing. He looks at my COO and, the, and he says, I like her. She's real. I want to work with all of me. And he walks out. And they're just left there shocked. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And the chief of staff's laughing, shaking his head. And he said, that was the best meeting we've had in two weeks. He's like, that was the meeting. That was the meeting. Adam loves realness. That, that, he wants to see who you are more than the project. Okay, that's over. I don't stop weeping for three days and I don't know why. Just weeping. It was like something had been ripped off, literally, which was a gift. It was a gift. I was somehow not accessing a part of myself, which shows you the importance of the inner work, which is why I started the work that I do. And I didn't know that. So it's like, you don't know what you don't know. But now that I know, I can guide people consciously more towards it. And I went to my Rob's that, that week, Rob Shalom Kamenetsky in Philadelphia. I was very, very, I'm very close to them. And I was in his house and I did a meditation and internal process in myself. Why can't I accept? Just curiously, like what is it 
truly that's preventing me from accepting Hashem's will, knowing that he is, I know Hashem's good and I know he loves me and I know he wants the best. So what is it? And what came back was because you're judging yourself. That little voice, still small voice, called the Mama Daka, right? The still small voice from the soul because you're judging yourself. It's like you feel like a failure if you're not married, which I know singles, so many singles feel this way. You feel like a failure because especially in Jewish from society, oh, my gosh, marriage is all about marriage. So if you're, if you're single, you really feel like a second-grade citizen or second-class citizen, right? And, and then and the society makes you feel that way. I could tell you horror stories like Mishloch Manos, the families giving t- dozens and dozens of Mishloch Manos to other families, and I'm close to these families. They love me. I'm invisible, invisible. They just forgot about me. Like, it's terrible. Purim is the one day. Go and give to singles. If you want a community initiative let's do mishloch not for singles but in a real genuine way you know anyway not as a never case as a chesed project that's worse so i um what came back was this little voice that you you're judging yourself as a failure what does that mean it means that i need to be married to feel somehow worthy to feel somehow okay if i don't get married i'm a failure i'm i'm somehow not worthy i wasn't telling myself i just felt that way it was very deep and I made a decision there and then to not do that ever again. I realized what I was doing and I said, oh, and I'm blaming it on Shem. I'm judging myself. And this is the key of the inner work. I'm judging myself and I'm blaming it on Shem. It's not Shem. Shem's not looking at me that way. I'm looking at me that way. So I made a decision. I'm not going to do that anymore. I am not going to judge myself anymore. Hashem, I accept who I am and I'm good enough and I'm worthy enough. No matter what, I want to get married badly, but it's not going to define my worth or who I am. And I said, and if, it still makes me cry, but if, if you choose for this to be my reality, if you choose, it's not what I want, but if you choose it, I'll accept it and I'll make the best of it. I'll make the best of it. The next day, my husband was suggested to me. The next day. The next day. That's crazy. It's crazy. Now, it doesn't mean that that's going to turn out that way for every person that does that. And that's not why I did it. When I did it, I did not know it was going to turn out that way. And there are some people who have to accept a, a, a lot in life and it doesn't change even after they accept, right? So I don't, it's very important to hold both of those elements. It's not about, oh, all I have to do is accept and then a is going to bring me what I want because that's turning a shen into a vending machine and, and it's like a trick. It's not another Segula. But what Hashem showed me was it really is a powerful, powerful place to come from because Hashem really does want to do our will like it's his will. But it's so good for us to surrender our will. That's our growth is to surrender the ego, right? Our will is ego, bittle. And we want to work on that bittle of surrender, let go, let God. That's what this is. And I just didn't know that I wasn't able to do that in this area until I was confronted with this. And so it was, you know, my husband was suggested to me, we dated, we got engaged in Spain at an Olami event with 800 people, a thousand people. They flew in Shweki. Rav Lau was there. It was a party in Toledo, Spain. It was literally nuts. It was like a kasana. Everyone went crazy. I, I, I was blown off my feet. It was, it was literally the, one, the best day of my life other than my wedding. We got married in two weeks. We said, let's not wait. He's absolutely my soulmate. My zivug was super clear from the beginning, which was also a blessing because it's not always super clear for people. And I just felt that uh, 
this whole thing was a, a huge nisayon, right, that I did not know how it would end. What it did show me was we can't, there's three areas of Ishtadlis. There's the practical, you know, shtachans, in singles events, whatever. There's the spiritual, which is betachon and tefillah, trust and prayer. But there's also this inner work. Am I blocked? Do I have emotional blocks? Do I have subconscious blocks in the subconscious, the, the blocks you're not aware of that are running you like a pattern of like I was judging myself as not good enough. If any perfectionists out there, underneath perfectionism is an inherent feeling of not feeling good enough. And the perfectionism is just a, a way to compensate for that. But you have to get to that place of not feeling good enough and heal it so you feel good enough. And when you do that, things shift, right? That's just one example. I have many, many different patterns with many different women that are sitting in the subconscious that you've taken on from childhood and that you're just playing out like a program and a narrative and a reality. And you just think that's your reality, but it's really not. And you can change it, absolutely change it. All my girls come out of this course saying this was life-changing, life-changing. This is worth everything, you know, because it's not just about marriage. It's about being a wife. It's about being a mother. It's about, you know, you want these tools. That's why I see some married women because it's not specifically only for dating. We just do it through the dating lens because that's where women are. But it's really about how do you connect to your neshama? How do you live from your higher self, not those lower self fears, right? And go out defensively all the time. How do you hold those parts and work with healing them, but still come from a higher place? These are the, this is the inner list that needs some guidance at the beginning, but I really have seen that you can teach women these tools very quickly, relatively, and they can use them forever. They don't have to keep going back to therapists and coaches. You know, obviously, if you have something particularly wrong with mental health or trauma, you have to get help. But in general, you can learn these tools at the higher level of emotional intelligence and spiritual intelligence. And I think it, it shifts enormously. Even just dating from a place. I had a girl say to me, she was so excited to go out on a date. And she thought she knew the guy wasn't right, but she was so excited because she was so calm. She never felt this way dating before. That she was, she was fine. It wasn't this dread. It wasn't this, this fear, you know. And so, or she was going out with Shayach guys. She was attracting Shayach guys because we have this ability to, to attract where we're resonating with inside. We, we, the Talmud says we don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. So we have a lens and we look out from that and we attract people to us based on that. And Hashem brings circumstances to show us what patterns we have so we can work on our tikkun, right? I'm sure you all know these concepts, but right. dating is no different. Dating is part of that. I yeah. want to say two things. The first thing is I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, not just a wife, a mother. I feel like this is something as a Jewish woman, as a connected woman, as someone who has an active relationship with Hashem, it's beneficial to go through such a process. And the second thing, sure. and I probably the main thing I want to address is we kind of like skimmed over it, but I think for our listeners, especially those who are not the older singles, I want to talk about the space and the community a little bit more. Yeah. So as from women, as religious women, we and not just women, but as a religious community, we are tremendously family oriented. We grow up with a family. We're taught how to celebrate Yamim Taibim with a family. We are taught how to interact with Hashem through the lens of, you know, even being a wife, being a mother, being a daughter, being, being part of a family unit. And then when your peers are going through marriage, children, upshanishes, bas mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, possibly even weddings, you don't have that same space. And I think that as a Kala teacher, like having taught older Kalas, um, I've spoken to them about the struggle to 
the struggle in the interim years, right? The struggle in the years until they became a Kala and the struggle, you know, finding their place and serving Hashem. And by one of the things that was, that's always most interesting to me is that their relationship with Hashem does shift in that time because there isn't a place for them in our community. It's not just about Shalchmanis and the candy and the, it's about who am I in my active relationship with Hashem? Who am I in how do I serve Hashem? How do I celebrate Yom Taivim? Where is the, where is my Avaida during this time? And I think that we need to talk a little bit about that, not just for our singles, especially for our singles, but also for the other people listening who are like, well, how do I, how do I create spaces in the community for older singles? Yeah. It's a, it's a big question because so much of our life is focused around that. And I think that there's two different aspects. One is treating the single like a person and not as a single. Uh, I was allergic to this and I see it a lot. Like you're invited because you're a single to like a single shalashudas. So you're boxed in and categorized because you're single as opposed to being seen as a person. I was allergic. If I sniffed that out, I never went back to that family. I know other singles, it's different if singles organize it. That's a different thing. Cause then you can like, it's about friends getting together but when you're treated by married women, like you're the, the single slot, you know, like let's have you because you're the never. Let's have you at the meal because we should. You're part of my chesed project. Any of that stuff is very degrading. So I think changing that perspective of seeing singles as also getting out of the cookie cutter view of like this is what everyone should be doing at the same time. The idea that Hashem works in lots of different ways and we never have the whole picture. It's a certain humility that that we don't know why someone's going through something and to think we're better than that or we're we're okay and they're not right because they're single is just nonsense right i i did a reel on my instagram recently that got the most views that was a, you know when people tell look at me like there's something wrong with me but then i look at all the dysfunctional people who are married like the more dysfunctional people than me that are married there's so many dysfunctional people that are married. It can't be that because I'm dysfunctional that I'm not married because there's tons of toxic people that are married, right? So it's not the prerequisite. Uh, and and but that's how you feel when you're single. So for married people to stop looking at singles that way, to, 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 to sweeten the judgment, you know, anyway, meter connected meter, you don't want did on yourself anyway in that way, right? You know, but but we want we want to be able to sweeten that and say we just don't know we don't know the big picture and what can I do to help this person so they don't feel left out they feel like a person they feel loved they feel needed there's purpose in their life you know when a single feels loved and needed um, that's that's the the second best thing you can do right I mean you can, unless um, unless you find there's ever but um, but I think for a single the main avoda is not to fall into despair that's the avoda these these are excellent words. I want, I have a question, sort of like a follow-up about not following into despair. I think especially for women, I'm talking about women, not men who are older in a religious community. They, we also have like our eggs are ticking, right? The be all and end all is to birth and have a large Jewish family with many kids. And as the the older woman is getting older, there's this element of, will I be able to have a family? Will I be able to have children? How do you speak to that element? Freeze your eggs. Take the pressure off. I have an older, uh, an older friend, well, she's not older, she's my age, um, but she's very active in the medical community, which I'm part of. And she, she actually took the time to talk to her 
um, about how to do this properly and what the parameters are. So I want, if someone's listening to know that they're like, speak to a rev, don't assume that it's off the table. Um, don't assume that it's on the table either, but have at least a conversation with your, you know, spiritual yeah. guidance and, and see where you stand in the parameters of halachic space. I mean, I've, I've known so many women who have done it halachically with Ravonim's support. I don't know. I don't know anyone personally that got a, a, a it's us or a kind of suck. And there's organizations from organizations like PUA who will go in and observe and supervise it to make sure that all anything's take anything that was maybe questionable, they watch the whole process. They make sure your eggs go into your name. They're, they're your eyes for you. There's all sorts of safety guards that are set up. Um, I highly, I highly recommend it. Not that I'm a rub, you should definitely speak to your rub but I haven't heard that there's a problem halakhically with it at all, um, especially if you have PUA or an organization like that. But what it does, it, psychologically, it's hard to do it, to show up and do it because you have to admit to yourself where you're at that you're even doing it to begin with, right? So like 35, 36, the latest, 37, 38. I think they don't like to do it beyond maybe 39, 40. You know, to, to show up and do it is hard, but once you've done it, it takes the pressure off of that particular pressure that I have to get married now because my eggs are running out, you know, or my eggs are not as viable. And even though it's not a safety guard, it's not a guarantee, but neither is having a child. So it still gives you hishtadless towards an option without, the, without that pressure. Yeah, I think that, that that's, that's, there's nothing else that you can suggest. I, I don't think anything else I would say would, would, Give it would take uh, the take that pain away or that that worry away from a single as they get um, older. I have a, a different angle here, and and this is just my experience and my lived experience. I have there's a there's a group of of friends who are my age, and they're I, I'm going to give my age. I'm 35. I'm young, um, but there's a whole group of friends who are married. One of their mothers. I bump into on a continuous basis. And she always says, do you have a shidduch for my daughter? Do you have a shidduch for my daughter? Do you have a shidduch? And I'm always floored because I'm not sure what to say. Obviously this mother's in pain, but I almost feel like she's making the situation feel like, oh, my daughter, my poor Nebuch daughter who isn't getting married. And it's an uncomfortable position to me because then when I see this friend, I'm like, do I tell her, by the way, your mother is so loving or do I tell her, you know, your mother told me. Like, it's just a weird space for me to be in. So I think that a little bit of this is also acknowledging that we are, we're not sure how to navigate the situation sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes comments like Amir Tashem by you might be coming from the best place, but we just don't know how to navigate these conversations. And I err on the side of caution and I just keep quiet, but I'm not sure what, like how to approach some situations where obviously it's not just the singles, the mothers, the fathers, the grandparents, they're all thinking about this child that, you know, they're, you know, obviously love and cared about and had a vision for, you know, dancing at their wedding and being there. So what do we tell the mothers of the older singles? What do we tell people who are maybe dealing with an uncomfortable situation with their mothers? So I think it's really, really important to separate out the, the fact that they're different realities. The singles reality and the family's reality are two different realities. So I would not tell the single, by the way, your mother has been asking me, your mother's been, because that's just sharing the anxiety of the mother now with the single, which is going to make them feel bad. So I would make sure that's separate. And what I've done with, with parents who are worried about their kids for whatever reason is I've tried to work with the parent around, well, what's, what voter is Hashem testing you with now being a mother of a single? 
And oh, so it takes the pressure and the focus off the signal, number one. Number two, the mother can come back to herself and say, what is the avoda? Oh, I have to let go. I have to trust the shim. I, I'm not in control here. My anxiety is not getting my daughter married. My anxiety is only making her feel bad and feel worse. You know, so even though it's understandable, the family's anxiety, to put it on the single and pressure the single and talk about it constantly, you're never going to get married or, you know, is your own fear. That's that, that avoda is batahon as well for the mother. So I would encourage the mother to build the batahon, right? To build up that trust and, uh, and to work with that, work with her own fears. What does it mean for you or to empathize? It's so hard. You can empathize with the mother. It's so hard. It must be so scary. You know, you can empathize with that. Um, but not, I wouldn't tell the single. I don't know any single that loves the soon by you, Mirza Shem kind of comment. I, I really don't. I think they understand it's coming from a good place, many of them, but it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. And when you're at a wedding and you, or you're a single and you've got the courage and the energy to get yourself to that wedding, even though you're single and that's painful because it's rubbed in your face, the last thing you want to have other people, like lots of other people point out, is how you're single. You're there to try to besamech the kala. You're there to focus on other people. It's not about me. Like I heard, I don't want to talk about me in that moment. I want to talk about, I don't want the focus on my singlehood at that moment. Again, it's painful. It's not, I don't, and then I have to discuss it or, or respond to you. Why do we feel it's okay to comment on someone's deepest pain at a big public simcha? We don't go up to women who are married with no kids and go, so when you're having kids, we would never do that. It's so insensitive, but that's what's going on. That's the same pain. Sadly, right? Jackie, people do that also. Oh, okay. But, I, but other people, I think, can see that that's, that that's, that's just really like insensitive, right, to do that, right? right. Or looking at the tummy, looking at the belly, new, new, like when, when, you know. It's just that it happens to those two things happen to be public so other people can see, right, having a child and getting married. Everyone else's nisyonos are private. Also, tell me about your shalom bias problems right oh so tell me like how's your health we, you know we don't you know when you know someone's had a cancer scare you just would never think to do that but that's the level that's going on right that with when, when we when we say these things and it comes from a good place i'm just exaggerating to make a point but uh but it's it's important to be sensitive of the comparisons how would you like it if someone just came up whenever they wanted and just commented on something very raw and painful for you that you don't you would never choose to share with someone else like that but they just ha- just happens to be public that's right. the mentality to get into the sensitivity. I think. I think. I think we just don't have the skills um, sometimes, like the etiquette or the. And I'll I'll give you an example. So I'm at, I'm I was added to an older singles shidduch influencer group thing, and there was a profile that got shared that really jumped out at me. And I thought of a friend of mine, who, by the way, I haven't spoken to in two years. And when I have spoken to, it was like she runs an organization that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to refer someone to. Um, so it wasn't even a personal conversation when I spoke to her last, but I thought about her and I sat on it for two days and I thought to myself, how do I approach this friend and tell her? And I, I decided what I'm going to do. And I don't know if I was right or wrong was I was going to tell her, by the way, I see this and which is what I did. I saw this profile. It made me think about you. I don't know what the protocol is with sharing. If you're interested, if you're not interested, you let me know what you want. I, you know, and she ended up wanting to see it. I showed it to her and I moved on. Like nothing happened. I didn't follow up, but I feel like we just don't know. So what's the, what is, what is the right way to help? 
You know what I'm saying? We want to make a shidduch. Do we, do we, you know, how do we, how do we go about doing those type of things? So I think that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful idea. Like at a wedding, you could come up to a single and you say, you know what? I've been thinking of you this week and I, I have an idea. Can I call you after the wedding and can we discuss it? Are you, would you be open to that? Are you available? You know, to, to you know, then they, they feel thought of. They don't have to deal with it in the middle of a public simcha. And you're showing sensitivity. But also asking them permission, I think, is a big, is a big one. You know, I, I, Shabbos table conversations also just drive me crazy that how many times I had to answer that in front of the table. You know, so what are you looking for? Like in the middle of the Shabbos meal, you know, or, you know, whatever, talking about my singlehood in front of the, the table is also embarrassing. It's, it's, it feels degrading. Uh, it's, not, it's not welcome most of the time. So I think pulling a single over and saying you've been thinking about them and you've got some ideas, can I call you after? Is, or who, who can I call? Sometimes they say, no, don't call me, call my Robertson, you know, something like that. So, so I think that's the right way to, to address it with sensitivity. And that's Talk- beautiful. I think yeah, it, that it is. Thought of. It did feel very sensitive in how you described it. I, I, I want to talk about ideas because I actually, I love suggesting Shaduchim. I also, everyone has, you know, older singles that yeah. they know. And in the past when I've suggested some of the reaction that I've gotten is, oh, I'm not going to settle. He's divorced or I'm not going to settle. He has kids. I've waited this long. I, on one hand, I can understand that if you wait this long, you want to, you want to, I guess, imagine that you would marry somebody that you would marry when you were 18 or 19 or just starting out. But on the other hand, this word settle is puzzling to me because I, the singles are in a totally different stage in their life. Do you address that in your courses? We talk about that a lot that um, I actually have a tagline on my Instagram that says for Jewish women who don't want to settle because that's what people say. But what do I really mean by that? You don't want to settle on your on values, but you want to compromise on all the other stuff. So values and direction are the most important thing that you don't settle on. So otherwise people are saying, well, I have to marry someone. So I'm going to marry a guy who's not so observant. No, that's a value. You don't settle. You don't settle on that stuff. But as far as, uh, oh, he's got to be this tall, this color hair, live in this location, be in this kind of job, uh-uh, all that changes all the time. So that's not called settling. That's just called not being rigid based on a plan or an image in your head that you think you should get. Based on what? You know, it's not, it's not necessarily what you need and it's not necessarily the package that will come in. So we need to be flexible, right? Flexible is not settling. And anything that's more superficial, artificial, or transitory, like hair color, height, I mean, height, height, I actually do think is important. Um, you can't just marry someone who's like a lot shorter than you sometimes. I think women, it's, it's an important point that you have to feel good walking down the street with your husband. You know, like there's a certain level of manliness that you want to feel around a man. Um, not everyone has the same height requirements, but if it's strong for you, that's okay. Other than that, I think everything else should be pretty flexible. And I've seen people lose the loves of their lives because it didn't fit the image in their head. They have an image in their head and then they lose the love of their life because they're not able to be flexible. And I can see that it's not realistic what they're saying. So I think there's a difference between being realistic and then not settling on certain values and direction. You have to be going in the same direction. You have to have the same values. And, And that's really the key point. I, I actually have a theory. I don't know if this is right or, or wrong. You can correct me that somebody who is divorced or widowed um, is probably more stable than 
somebody who has never been in a relationship, because especially for a man, like not to be in a relationship and, and, you know, spend 20 years alone and not, you know, be able to relate to another person or even like the physical aspect of intimacy. And that's not there that I think might be concerning versus somebody who has been there already. Correct. I I always looked for a divorce guy. Really? I, I want, yep. You're validated. No way. Like, I want a divorce guy or a widow guy. And they, people would look at me like this. And then I spoke to numerous Rosh Hashiva and they said that that was, that was wise for the same reason. And I just oh. knew it was because but you have to weed out the divorce, the divorce guys who've really grown and worked on themselves through it and become greater from it. They're gems versus the ones who blame the wife. She's crazy. I did nothing. I... So it's really about vetting. So then we get into vetting. How do I vet? How do I discern? Because there are a lot of concerns with divorce. So you have to find out what happened. You'll never find out the whole picture. But you can tell from him how he dates you and how he refers to the ex and how he refers to the situation. You can tell a lot about humility, growth. One of my favorite questions to suggest to singles is to ask someone you're dating, how, what did you learn from your divorce? That tells you everything. I mean, Oh, I learned not to pick another crazy lady. I mean, like that, that, that tells you everything, you know, he's like, bye. But if they say, yeah, it was so humbling or I, you know, really learned a lot about myself or I realized that I don't communicate well or that that's attractive. So hundred percent widowers, you should just know widowers can be tricky because what happens is a, you, you know, what happens. So, you know, they they health, they're healthy. Widowers, you know, what happens. So, you know, they're healthy. However, you also always in the shadow of the wife, the past, and they're pedestaled often. So now you're living in the shadow of someone who's larger than life because they look up to the person who's died there. Naturally, when people die, you pedestal them. You only remember the good. And for some women, that's, that's too hard. That's not, that's not good for them. So you have to just know yourself and know what you can handle. Everyone says, yeah, go for a widower. It can be, you can always, you can also feel sometimes like B grade that if she hadn't died, you don't know if you'd be the chosen one, you know? If the, if the relationship wasn't good, so then you're okay. But if it was good and she died from something tragically or with cancer, so that's just another dynamic. And then divorce, you want to make sure the guy's healthy and that, you know, it was a good reason that he didn't just quit. And also it's humbling for a man to admit they failed in a marriage and it, like it failed, whatever it was, and that they want to do everything they can to make the next one work. That can be very good. What about children? Like when we are at a certain age, people, you know, you're not offered a, a, a spouse with children at a younger age, but at a certain age. Yeah. You're, what, what about that? When, when does, how does somebody evaluate if that is right for them? So I think it's about um, letting go of the image and the dream, number one, and acknowledging with humility that you don't know what's best for you. And you would never have chosen yourself to be single at this age anyway. So obviously this is best for you on some level and you don't know why. And then B is the, I was going to, and I was going to mention this earlier, I wrote a note about it, that uh, maternal energy and mothering can come in many forms. And so if you don't have kids of your own and you're 33 and you're like religious from birth, by that point, your friends have got four or five potentially. Then a guy coming in with little, a couple little kids can be a good thing because you're going to be accessing a maternal energy, even if you have your own kid with this guy. Um, and the other thing is, is also, so number one, I would say be open to it at a certain age. Uh, you have to know yourself and you have to know, you know, again, people get worried about all sorts of things. So you have to work through the fears of what that means and et cetera, et cetera. But I think the biggest thing is letting go of the image 
of like the dream of what you think you should have. And then the other part of it is also that uh, maternal energy can be expressed through lots of different avenues. So even if you have students, right, of some sort, there's a certain bashpia on other people in some way. That's also a maternal energy and maternal giving. And I was once when I was speaking to my, my Rav, Rav Shalom, he said to me when I wasn't married, he said, you know, you have so many students around the world that you've been mashpia on, but when you get to the next world, it actually states that they will be as if, as if your kids, real, real kids, not pretend kids or fake kids, as if they're your children. So whoever you were, so I always took comfort in that, that even God knows what, and still the story's not over yet, right? I have two wonderful stepdaughters as well. I married a man with two daughters. However, you know, I have, I have thousands of other kids, you know, that I have helped birth in a different way. It's not what I would have wanted. It's not what I chose. I mean, it's not what I consciously chose, but I de- have, I been, have I been mothering and nurturing and midwifing my Hebrew name's Yocheved? Uh, you know, have I been doing that? Yes, 100%. So I think it's about broadening our perspective of what our life can be rather than what it should be. You know, there's a saying, I won't shoot all over you if you don't shoot all over me. Let's get rid of the shoulds. Let's not shoot all over each other. You know, shooting is not good. Because shooting is a preconceived expectation idea that limits God and limits us. We don't know. But it's not about giving up. So I want to be careful about that. It's about acceptance of what is and what could be and not giving up on your dream, but also opening to other options and other other avenues, other channels of that expression. It's not giving up mothering. You you, You talk a lot about interchange. And when I was reading your bio on your website, you talk about yourself as a world changer. Now, in my mind, interchange is so individual and world changer is external. What are you doing in terms of world change for these older singles? Are you telling them to work on themselves like each person individually is a world? Or are you trying to create change like in our system, in our structure? That's such a deep question because every person has tikkun and tapkit. Right, every person has their soul correction that we're here to do, and we have tough kid purpose what we give to the world. And that world doesn't have to be huge, big organizations. It can mean like your your orbit of your family or your community or something to do with something, something like you're contributing to the world. However, if you haven't done your tikkun and you don't know what's going on inside, you're blocked with that. You you're very limited in your tough kid capacity. The more you clear out yourself, the bigger vessel you can be, the bigger impact you can make as your tough kid, which is the world changer. So world changing starts with us. You know, it has to start here. And yes, it goes hand in hand at the same time, tough kid and tikkun together. But I do see that people don't get clear on their tough kid and don't make the biggest impact they can make in general until they've started sorting themselves out here, tikkun. So it really does go together. And, uh, and, and, they, and, and not only that, but who you are and what you resonate with affects the world directly you know, and, and, and your world. Absolutely. All big change starts with interchange that travels outwards. And that's such an important concept to realize that we are changing the system by changing ourselves. And we are changing the system by talking about our change. And that's a really powerful tool. Um, And that's one of the premises of the course is that if you, my first question is, 
What's your dating patterns? You're getting no dates. You're getting bad dates. What's going on? Because that's a reflection of your inner world. And as you shift and believe you're worthy and good enough, all of a sudden, like halfway through the course, about half my girls go, oh my gosh, I'm getting suggestions out of nowhere. It's crazy. I've never, I haven't been suggested this many people in two years. I said, because you're changing internally. It, directly, people see it. They're like freaked out because it's so direct. And Hashem, does, Hashem allows us that power, right? We call it co-creating. In the secular world, they call it manifesting. I don't like that term because we don't manifest, right? Hashem manifests. And we don't create the outcome. We just create the clear, the vessel. And we put in the effort. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a really important point. It, it's a really important point. Uh, Jackie, do you think that we should be encouraging our singles, besides because we're talking about internal, external, to um, not leave the, the job up to Sharchanim and family, friends, as much as we do in our culture? I always think about that. Like they, There's a lot of reliance on ha- on someone else thinking of someone to suggest to them and that waiting period or that trying it's all it is a little bit passive and victim i'm waiting i'm like the victim of the circumstance right so that's all about whatever i give my power to i'm at the mercy of and this is the key with bitachon and trust is that whatever system i give my power to whether it's shachans the dating world the dating the the, the shit off crisis you know, that's the favorite one of the moment, right? Then I will be at the mercy of. But if I say, no, 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 none of these people have power. It's only you, Hashem. It's just you. And I give my power to God. Then these just are messengers and pawns. We're not really, we're not really at the mercy of them. And what I've seen is that God will actually lift you out of the natural world into the supernatural if you do that. Bitachon is the craziest, craziest thing. It's, it's the glitch in the matrix, if anyone saw the matrix, right? It's, it, meaning it doesn't fit with the system. And it's not based on reward and punishment. Scarva Onish, it's not based on that. You could be not such a righteous person and you trust Hashem and he will come through for you because it lifts you out of the natural system and you're no longer at the mercy of it. Chavos Levavos, duties of the heart, talks about that. Whatever you put your trust and power in, Hashem leaves you at the mercy of. And the commentaries come along and say, isn't that, isn't that mean? Like, isn't God mean? Isn't he punishing, you know, punishing us? He loves us. Why would he do that? Just because we don't trust him only. And and they come along and say, no, no, no. It's how the system works. So an, a nursing baby is a meomain, right? And that's the same root as emuna. Emuna, meomain, same root. Because when you have a nursing baby, to the degree that they suck, they draw down the mother's milk. And if they stop sucking, what happens? The milk dries up. It's not that it's a punishment. It's just that the milk dries up. So he says, ah, that's us with Hashem. When I put trust in Hashem and I rely on Hashem, truly, truly rely, it's only you, Hashem. It's only you with power. That's like Ke'ilu the sucking. I'm drawing down Hashem's direct divine supervision in a very revealed way. And Hashem has the capacity. We're giving him the power, the Kali, the vessel to come down and lift me up out of my position in a, in a supernatural way, not in open miracles. He still uses the natural system, but you're not defined by the natural system. And he said, literally, if you put your power, take your power away from Hashem and give it to the shachans. And then you're sitting there like a victim of circumstance waiting for the shachans to call you. So guess what? You're at the mercy of those shachans. You've, put, you've given your power to those shachans. So we said, let's take the power back. Take the power back by giving it to Hashem. That, that's my choice. I'm in the, the choosing seat of my life and I can choose to give the shachans the power or give Hashem the power. Hashem, and if, if the shachan's pushy and mean and insensitive and rude, which so many are, even though they're well-meaning and many want to do good, 
but they're upsetting you and they're crossing your boundaries or that you feel violated or you feel pushed against your knowing, which happens so often. Again, I don't think it's intentional. You don't have to use that shachan. You're not behooved to that shachan that you have to, or beholden to that shachan that you have to do that. Hashem's got plenty of messengers. We feel, the singles feel like I have to, I have to say yes to everyone. Otherwise they're not going to suggest. They feel trapped. They feel victimized. Don't do that to yourself. You can choose to get out of that. You know, and feel like I, I encourage singles to say no. Say no to a shachan. Say like set your boundaries. You know, you don't lose all boundaries just because you're single. It's very disempowering. But that idea of bitachon is so powerful, blows my mind every time. Whatever you give your power to, you're at the mercy of. So where are you putting your power? Where are you giving your trust in your power? It's and such a powerful message. Yeah, outside of outside of dating, that goes for everything. Whether it's the stock market, whether it's doctors, whether it's the government, whether whatever system we're giving our power to, we're at the mercy of that system. It's such a powerful message. And I love the example of a nursing baby because one of the things that as a midwife I see a lot when moms are establishing nursing is that they're like, I don't know in a bottle. I know how much I'm giving my baby two ounces, three ounces. I don't know. Maybe they're not getting anything. And this is irrational fear that I don't have. I don't have, it's not happening. I don't know. And I think that component is such an important part of what you're saying. We don't see, we don't know. We have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. And yet we still have to be like that baby and trust that milk is going to come out. And it's going to work out whether it's in the way that we envision it or not. I don't know. You don't know. No one knows about Hashem, but you have to trust that there is something there that will nourish you and make you an elevated person. And that's such a powerful thought. Um, and, and like you said, not just for older singles, but for all of us, yes. whether we're raising children or whether we're younger, whether we're even in the Bobby stage, it doesn't make a difference what it is. It's such a powerful message. Um, Jackie, if you leave our listeners with one message, I think that was a powerful message, by the way. But if is something, is there anything additional that you feel like we need to address as we close off our time together? Just that you're worth it. You're worth doing the work. Invest in the work with someone if you need to. It's very hard to navigate this by yourself. It doesn't have to be me. I'm just one option, but find someone to do this work with and work at the subconscious level, not the conscious level. There's a lot of people in this world that work at the conscious level, gives you a lot of insight and awareness, which is good because it's good to be aware, but often that awareness is not enough to shift the feeling. So most of my women come to me and say, I know my issues, but I can't change how I feel. So yes, because it's at the subconscious level. And so you have to work at that subconscious level. There's many ways in, there's many modalities. Um, I'm one of them, but w- do the work, do that inner hishtadless. It's not selfish. You don't have to feel guilty, right? It's part of creating your clea to be truly open to receive the love of your life. And many, many women want it and talk about it, but deep down, they're not really open. There's a conflict internally. They're, how do we, they're not open. They're, they're a bit scared, right? They're a little bit scared of it. They're, they dread it. There's some negative reaction there. And that's the subconscious pull. There's an inner conflict. Conscious mind, once it's subconscious, is scared. The subconscious will always win. So you have to do that inner work. It's real hishtadless. And that we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about it. I mean, we don't give permission. It's like a bit selfish. Or, or go to a Taurus year, but then shh, go to therapy privately. Like, you know, secretly. Don't tell anyone. That we separate. We split it. No, in this generation, your tikkun is all of it together. That's your tikkun, is that work. And it's totally good. It's valid. It's important. 
and you're worth that investment for those results. By the way, I want to tell you something about going to therapy in our generation. I was actually talking to a friend, I'm upstate. And just to end off on this note, one of the things that we were talking about is we sometimes go down rabbit holes. She's doing a rabbit hole about narcissism and I'm doing a rabbit hole about like intergenerational trauma. And we were laughing. I was standing at the edge of my porch and she was pushing her baby and we were laughing. And I was like, what is it with our generation that why are we into this? And then suddenly as I'm talking to her, I realized we're the first generation of Jews that are not being persecuted in any sort of worldwide basis. We have gone past that initial generation of trauma, possibly past the first two generations of trauma. And now we're living in a time of plenty. And in this time of plenty, suddenly we're looking at ourselves and saying, hey, let's unpack what we have in the framework of Tyra and in the framework of what Hashem wants from us. And it's, it's a crazy opportunity for us to do that establish and to really elevate ourselves. And that's a really powerful space. And that's, I think that's what you were getting at when you're like, it's not just the Tyra share and it's not just the therapy, but it's that combination of unpacking the spirituality, the emotional part, the, you know, mental, all of the components of who we are so that we serve Hashem in the best way possible. Jackie, if anyone is listening to us and wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? So if anyone has Instagram, the best is on Instagram, Jackie Glazer official, my name with an S Glazer official. And if you don't have Instagram, JackieGlazer.com as the website, you can get in touch with me there. And we're going to link that in our show notes. Um, If you want to leave us a five-star review or any star review, we would love to hear your feedback. Um, Thank you so much, Jackie, for joining us. It's been a real, real um, eye-opening, pleasurable experience. So thank you. Thank you. Happy Tuba Av. And may Hashem bless all the singles with actualizing their greatness and finding the zivug and love of their life as soon as possible. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Niggin provided by Hazen David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you.